My name is Ben Almond. I work for a Fortune 250 company with over 50,000 employees. Using the perspective of this background, combined with my own life experiences and a passion for great leadership, I share observations and ideas for you to use on your development journey. This is The View, from where I sit. Call it a comeback. Hey everybody, Ben here. If you look around today, things seem pretty grim. Much of the world is shut down. People are sick and dying. Businesses are struggling. The economy has been hit pretty hard. We don't know what's going to happen next or when things will even resemble normal. This means that it's the perfect time for us to reflect on other times when things have seemed absolutely terrible in the moment, but have turned into something fantastic. The timing of this podcast couldn't be better for me. I'm recording this on the 15th anniversary of the accident that left me paralyzed. I quite literally left my apartment with my bike and came home with a wheelchair a few months later. This type of event changes your world so completely. It's actually life-altering. Going through it at times it seemed overwhelming, heartbreaking, and possibly even worse in my own head. Looking back at it now, the process of getting through that big impact in my world and getting back to my life and my new normal have turned out to be a positive. In retrospect, this huge event that broke me down to the core and forced me to rebuild myself has turned out to be something far more positive than I ever would have predicted. Not that it feels like that on the anniversary every year, but when I actually think it through, the whole experience has made me better. Today, we're going to look at some examples of things that had gone bad, but turned great and identify behaviors that help contribute to that outcome being drastically better than most would have thought in the moment. These stories come from a number of different time periods and environments as we learn from the actions of the people that live through them. They range from wartime to sports, of course, and many things in between, but the lessons coalesce into some fairly simple guidance for all of us to make the best out of the current situation and any others that may happen in our lives. Once we capture what I feel are the top tactics to move towards greatness, I'll take a few minutes to consider what we're learning from this pandemic, both as individuals and how it could change our industry. Fittingly, I want to start with how we look after ourselves. I recently listened to a talk by Evan Hafer, who's an entrepreneur and the founder of Black Rifle Coffee, a very interesting guy with a really cool backstory. In his talk, he addressed how he and his company have approached managing through this strange time. I connected immediately with the approach he's taking and encouraging his staff to take. Imagine your world as a series of concentric circles. Right in the middle is you. Directly around you is your family. Then comes business, then community. The piece that I really connect and agree with based on my life experiences is that you need to take care of yourself first. If you take care of yourself well, you'll be able to help others around you and continue to expand on that as you strengthen. So as they say on the airplane, put your mask on before you help others. This applies everywhere from a battlefield to relationships. But what does it mean for us right now? Whenever something big happens that impacts you directly, I found it helpful to think of it as a process you need to manage yourself through before you can get into maintenance mode. First, you need to acknowledge that something's happening, and it is affecting you. Take some time to absorb the events and what that has meant to you. Grieve. Be sad if you need to. It's okay to be emotional and feel those things. That's human. 
So allow yourself some space to do that. But while giving yourself that space is healthy, it cannot be an infinite space. You need to be able to move forward, and that means cutting it off and moving ahead. For me, I give myself a timeline, like, you can feel sorry for yourself today, but make it good because tomorrow we move on. This part is probably as important as taking the time to actually feel and digest the events. You don't have to feel better or be over it, whatever it was that happened, but you need to move ahead. Once you get to this point, it's time to raise your chin, set out some goals and priorities that you intend to pursue. These don't need to be world-changing. More importantly, they need to be realistic and achievable. You can add to them as you go in order to keep moving forward. We'll talk about that a bit later. Set your sights on something and begin to move towards it. Giving yourself a focus is a healthy move to continue moving beyond whatever has gone down in your world. This brings you to a state where you're moving forward, getting past the imminent impacts and into a more of a state of maintenance and looking after yourself. I'd suggest that each of us should take a bit of time for reflection. Consider what helps you feel grounded, happy, and focused. For some people, it could be yoga or meditation or some form of exercise, running or being outside, or even reading. I personally find that getting away from devices and reading or exercising and being outside really helps me clear my head and refocus on what's important. Now might be a good time to take a few minutes to find whatever it is that lets you do the same. There are a lot of ways you can pursue this for yourself. Look for yours. Considering your own mental and physical health is a good start, but we should go further than that. When we find ourselves in what is, or feels like a crisis, it is very important to find a bit of solid footing so we can be grounded as we begin to move ahead. We will all deal with changes and impacts to our lives. For the most part, they'll happen in one part of our life or another, but not everywhere at the same time. Meaning we may have something that is difficult to navigate going on at home or at work, but we'll have some stability in the other of those places. Today, we're managing through a time in which everything was dumped on its head. This means many of us lost our footing. Throughout the COVID pandemic, we've seen exceptional leaders emerge around the world. Consistently, they've sought to create stability and some semblance of predictability amongst all of the unknowns. With many examples to choose from, my favorite is New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Ardern's response to the pandemic back on March 21st was bold and engaged support immediately from her broad audience. That day, Ardern delivered an eight-minute televised statement to the nation in which she announced a four-level COVID-19 alert system. Modeled on the fire risk systems already in use in New Zealand, this approach set clear guidelines for how the government would step up its response and what would be asked of its citizens as the infection rates grew. This announcement, when New Zealand had only 52 confirmed cases, set the alert level at two, restricted some travel, and urged people to limit contact. But when cases grew to 205 four days later, the alert system was raised to a level four, triggering a nationwide lockdown. While her political peers, heads of state around the world, worried about their ability to maintain public support for sweeping restrictions, Ardern's actions showed that honesty and caring yield support. As of April 7th, the number of new cases in New Zealand had fallen for two consecutive days. The country reported only 54 cases on April 6th, and only one COVID-19 death since the pandemic started. Ardern's early communication of the coming escalation and the expectations of the people of New Zealand set them on this path to, as the New York Times put it, squash the curve. She had managed to take something that was very cloudy and uncertain and create something tangible with the escalation scale. 
something that people could visualize and lean on for a form of predictability, which translates into a sense of security. To learn from Prime Minister Ardern, we all need a sense of stability, or as some would put it, a foot on stable ground. If we're to plant our feet and move forward, this is very important. That means whether you're the leader of a country or not, you need to seek to both find stability for yourself and for those that you lead. Stability does not mean certainty, so don't mistake the two. In fact, for some of us out there, we find a form of comfort in that simple understanding that we're dealing with challenges, but we're in it together, and that we'll lean on each other to get through. As you look to create or find your version of stability, be unconventional and open to it coming in a different form than it may have in the past. Each situation is different. I'm personally pretty comfortable with change, and the stability I've latched onto right now is the excitement about the future and what could come out of all of this. Hence the topic for this podcast and some of the things I'll touch on later about the legacy of COVID and what that really could leave behind in great ways. Now that you've found some solid ground to set your feet on and move ahead from, it can be overwhelming to consider the breadth and depth of a situation like a pandemic or a world war. It's important that you again acknowledge the broader situation, but avoid being paralyzed by the scale of it all. The best way to handle this will be to focus on the things that you can control. You've never heard that before, right? In a past podcast, I shared a broader version of the story of my accident and recovery. Considering focusing on things within your control has me wanting to go a bit deeper into one part with you. The accident itself left me with a damaged spinal column and spinal cord. The repair for the spinal column consisted of a metal lattice work to reinforce it. The surgery to install the lattice work was a lengthy operation and was quite intrusive. Sadly, a week after the surgery, I was diagnosed with an infection in the surgical site. Another operation was required to clean it out. Again, I went back to the operating table and ultimately off to the rehab hospital. On arrival, it turned out I had a blood clot in my leg. And that was quite concerning, though maybe not surprising as I'd been stagnant for a few weeks by this time. My early days in the rehab hospital included a heavy-duty IV antibiotic cycle that burned the whole time they administered it, and other treatment for the blood clotting issues. Further to all of that, I had come down with a flu, which was troublesome given that the antibiotics had dropped my white blood cell count to dangerous levels. Needless to say, I wasn't a simple case. The good news was that once that was behind me, I could move forward with rehab, and I had dealt with rehabilitation before. Recovery from knee surgeries had taught me that it would hurt, it would be hard, but I would get back to normal. Wait, what would normal be? The first thing that I needed to do in this rehab stint was wrap my head around what my goal was. While I would have loved to say it was to walk again, I needed to accept that this may never happen. Not the easiest pill to swallow, but I managed to wrap my head around it while refusing to talk to a therapist. I then got to work with my physio and on the physical aspects of achieving my new goal, which is getting back to living my life. While all of this is going on, there's a team of rehab specialists, doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and beyond that are all watching you, teaching you, helping you move along this path. They're watching and they're worried. My team notes that I'm not making friends on the floor, I'm sleeping more than normal, I'm spending a lot of time in my room. The doctor actually pulls my dad, who's also a physician, aside to talk to him. They feel that I'm exhibiting all of the behaviors of someone who seems fine when they're in the rehab hospital, but has not accepted their new reality, that I'm a risk to go home and, and later attempt suicide. 
I can't imagine what my dad felt when that was put on his plate. He knows me, though, and he shared with my doctor that he felt like I was likely focused on the task at hand, and that if I felt like I could help others, I would likely be the first to the door. That I probably wasn't feeling like I was able to do that yet. The doc and my dad both had conversations with me separately, and the reality was a bit less complex. I was focused, determined, and tired. I was spending all of my energy in the gym with my physio, working to regain the strength that I had lost through the infection. I was fairly fit going into this injury, but I lost over 40 pounds in a week as a result of that, that terrible infection in the surgical site. I was attempting to get strong enough to do what I needed to do to get back to my life. I'd become laser-focused on what I could do to continue progressing. That focus helped me not only move ahead physically, but allowed me to digest the broader impact of what was happening. I feel lucky that I was able to identify those things that I could actually affect fairly quickly and immerse myself in them. I believe that this contributed to my mental state both in the hospital and later on being stronger than even the experts predicted. Something to note here is that in the middle of all that, I could not have known what the end game would be. I didn't realize it at the time, but this would be another lesson that has served people well as they manage their way through times that, in the moment, really seemed hopeless. When we can remain open-minded and agile in times of turmoil or change, we have the ability to create surprising results under these unique circumstances. Not knowing enough seems to be a constant when things are going sideways. Bad things are going on around you, the world is less predictable, and you cannot necessarily see what will come next. Over generations, it's become clear that those people and organizations that can remain open-minded and agile as they deal with a crisis are those that will not only survive, but thrive in the face of adversity. We're seeing this play out real-time in this pandemic with alcohol producers that have pivoted to making hand sanitizer, or hotels that have shifted to creating safe spaces to quarantine for those that don't want to endanger their families as they return from travel. Going a bit further back in time, there's an incredible example that I'd like to share that shows the power of being open-minded and adaptable in the face of a crisis. On June 22, 1941, Adolf Hitler launched his armies eastward in a massive invasion of the Soviet Union. Three great army groups with over 3 million German soldiers, 150 divisions, and 3,000 tanks smashed across the frontier into Soviet territory. The invasion covered a front from the North Cape to the Black Sea, a distance of 2,000 miles. By this point, German combat effectiveness had reached its peak in training, doctrine, and fighting ability. The forces invading Russia represented the finest army to fight in the 20th century. This invasion would ultimately surge deep into Soviet territory, and the loss of soldiers as both casualties of battle and prisoners would create a fear that the Germans could be successful. Around the world, nations had asked women to take on manufacturing jobs left vacant as men went to war, or to work in caregiving positions for the wounded, both in theaters of war or at home. The situation that the Soviets were in put them in a position to be far more open-minded than others out there. They would begin to leverage the women of the nation, not just for support-type roles, but active military service on the front lines. What they would find would set the stage for equality that we hope for today. There were many success stories out there. I want to focus in on my favorite, Ludmila Pavlchenko. Ludmila had been trained as a sniper and was mobilized as one of 2,000 female snipers by the Red Army during the German invasion. 
Sadly, Soviet supplies were so low that she was sent into battle with only a single grenade. Luckily, she managed to get her hands on a rifle from a fallen comrade. Over the course of her war, she was injured in battle three times. Continuing to fight against all medical advice, she ultimately made 309 confirmed kills, likely many more in reality, in defense of her country. The fourth injury would take her from the war with a head wound from a mortar explosion, but she had made her mark, and she remains the most effective female sniper in history. Who would have thought that a communist nation would be the most progressive on the planet? The situation Hitler had put them in forced them to be open to different ideas, and the reward was significant. History buffs out there will know that Hitler's decision to open a new front would arguably be the turning point of World War II for the Germans. Following one of the most brutal engagements in history, they were driven back into Germany, in no small part due to the agility demonstrated by the Soviets. Who knows what the world would look like had they maintained the mindset of, this is how we've always done it. This type of open-mindedness can be a bit scary to implement, but if you use the next tip, it's easier to manage that hesitance. In times when things feel like they have gone completely sideways, or badly, you can be surrounded by unknowns. There's a real potential that we become stalled or frozen as a lack of information with which to make decisions. This can be a real trap for some of us, especially those that are more analytical in nature. The stall is dangerous, as you can lose that momentum towards your goals and the future, which we want to be bright. So once you come to a halt, looking for more information or waiting for things to develop, it's much easier to become overwhelmed and to lose focus on the things that we've talked about so far. The best antidote for being overwhelmed is momentum. This means we need to have a tactic that keeps us moving with little available information and no long-term view into the future. How do we do that? The best approach that I've heard is to make a small decision, the smallest decision possible at the time that allows you to keep moving forward and consistently check in on how things are going and make the next small decision rinse and repeat. So you can move forward, see how things are working out, and move forward again. Keeping in mind, sometimes you may need to change course. But this looks a lot more like a small course correction than a major shift in direction as the decisions and actions are far less drastic. Taking advantage of the information that is available, inferring some direction from the overall situation, make calls that move you forward. Learn as you go from the good or the bad. In many ways, Having less information available and focusing on small, stair-step decisions and actions is freeing. It allows you to maintain momentum without waiting, potentially forever, on new data to define your path. Consistent progress is important to find your way to a good outcome. Unfortunately, there will be times when it just isn't going your way. Depending on the situation you're up against, this can come from hitting a dead end, or the variables around you changing, or even a new series of unfortunate events. In the face of adversity, I'm not the first to say this to you. Do not give up. I feel the need to say it again. Do not give up. I'm sure we've all heard the saying, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. That's what I'm talking about here. You need to give yourself the chance to do just that. There are no guarantees in life. But at about the moment you stop trying, I can guarantee that that great thing that you could achieve definitely won't happen. On the other hand, if you're willing to give it all, right to the bitter end, you've got a chance. All you need is a chance, and as long as there is a chance, it's worth trying. The phenomenon of pursuing an outcome, regardless of how bad things seem, and having it turn a corner at a moment when things appear insurmountable, is one that's repeated itself through history. This is a perfect time for a sports story. 
And really, what would a podcast of mine be without one of those? This time, I want to talk American football and NFL playoffs of the past. On January 3rd, 1993, during the AFC wildcard game, the Buffalo Bills were on their home turf playing against the Houston Oilers, and they were losing badly. At halftime, the Bills were down 28-3. Thousands of fans took the opportunity to leave the stadium. Their defensive coordinator was pissed. A player who was there said he exploded in the locker room, saying some things that I definitely won't repeat here. The string of profanity was so inspirational, the players from the Bills went right out in the second half, threw an interception that got returned 58 yards for a touchdown, which may be a lesson for us in a different podcast about motivation. They lost their star running back to injury, and now they're down 35-3, to and it's really looking bad. What did they do? Well, they didn't give up, I can tell you that. Otherwise, I may not have used this story. The Bills started scaling Mount Everest with that 50-pound rock strapped to their back. They scored a ridiculous 28 points in the third quarter, added another seven in the fourth. Houston added three of their own. And then followed all of that with a field goal in overtime to win the game 41-38, to putting it in the record books. This monumental comeback is known simply as the comeback. It's widely recognized as one of the greatest recoveries in the history of sport. Keep in mind, this is a sport. The Bills could easily have mailed it in after the disastrous start to the second half. The outcome would have been just what we expected after that first half. They chose not to. They chose both individually and as a collective. This choice isn't isolated to sports. People worldwide make this choice in their daily lives, at work, in relationships. No, it is not always glorious in the end. Sometimes the struggle continues, sometimes the struggle changes. The one thing that is certain, though, is when you choose to give up, you guaranteed that outcome. So choose not to give up, if for no other reason than to give yourself or your team the chance to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. What have you got to lose? Looking back at these lessons, let's quickly recap what we learned about how we can turn a situation that seems bad toward a great outcome. First, look after yourself. This positions you to be able to help others around you. Find yourself or create something that feels like stability that you can build from. Focus on the things that you can influence and control. Take an open-minded, agile, and adaptable approach to forward movement. Keep moving forward. Make decisions, even if they're small, to maintain that momentum. And of course, never give up. Ever. Well, there are many tips, tricks, or tactics embedded amongst those that I've called out here. I feel this approach gives us the best chance to turn something that seems terrible at the time into something great in the long run. Now, there's no one-size-fits-all manual for dealing with challenges either on an individual level or as a team. You need to adapt and flow. But if you keep these principles fresh in your mind and revisit them along the way, you have a great chance of turning something bad into something great. Now, I know... All of us are set to take this COVID-19 situation and turn it into something spectacular in the long run. So I wanted to share some thoughts on how I believe it could impact us as individuals and our industry as a whole. On the individual side, the pandemic has given us a great opportunity to reconnect with ourselves, our families, and loved ones. We're likely being more introspective now than ever, as we've had time to reflect on those things that are important and what it all means in the grand scheme of things. There are obvious impacts for us individually that have already taken root. 
We have more flexibility in how we do our jobs or where we do our jobs. We have, out of necessity, shifted to being widely distributed while playing a team sport. I've certainly been very proud of our team and how quickly and effectively they made that shift. It speaks to a greater sense of commitment to the goals and needs of our projects and clients. People have taken on an increased level of accountability for meeting their commitments. I think it likely started in a bit of a negative way, as we were worried that people wouldn't believe we were actually working if we're not sitting next to each other in the office or at the client's office. The outcome is a level of personal pride in getting our work done, doing it well, even though we're remote. The quick transition to this distributed working scenario has meant that much of what has happened was initially reactive, meaning we were not fully set up the way we would prefer to be to do our jobs. There's some sense of recognition of how well prepared our usual setting is and how we do miss that. Maybe we're more grateful for what we do have. This can range from grateful for my monitor to grateful for my leader, grateful for the company that I work for, all the way to grateful that I'm able to do what I do remotely. I think there's a good dose of gratitude out there in many of us, and I like it. We're learning how to be physically distanced, yet not disconnected. I see this in the tools we're now using extensively that were just a sidebar a few months ago. I've never been on more video conferences than I have in the past six weeks, but using video and using the other tools we have for virtual collaboration have made it really useful and, in fact, exciting. Perhaps more importantly, as we're missing our day-to-day people interactions at the water cooler or the coffee pot, we found new ways to stay connected with our coworkers, peers, and friends. Looking back at that level of accountability, I can definitely see a connection. We care about delivering for those that care about us. The use of virtual happy hours or coffee breaks, it's helped. And the one-on-one effort takes it a step further. We should really try to remember this when times change again and the pandemic begins to subside. Let's not let our historically short memory erase this feeling of community. All around us are friends, family members, spouses who are working in care facilities or are first responders. We have co-workers out of facilities maintaining access to safe drinking water and progressing critical infrastructure construction. Thoughts of the efforts that these people have put forward put purpose back into the front of our minds. From an individual viewpoint, many of us got into the professions we're in because we wanted to do our part for the planet or our communities, creating safe drinking water, cleaner, better places to live and work, reducing disease or improving our ability to respond to health matters, and so on. We need to use this opportunity to reground ourselves in this purpose and stay connected to it. As a company who's focused on challenging today and reinventing tomorrow, I'm proud of who we are as Jacobs and the fact that we're living by our values even as we navigate through the disruptions of the pandemic. The subtleties of these reminders or new approaches should be something that we take note of and embrace for the long run. I think that all of these things will serve us well as individuals, an industry, and a society. A major world-changing event like this certainly falls into the category of very bad things. Once I get past the heartbreak, I see this as an opportunity for our industry, a chance for us to remove the shackles that are the fear of change and take a major leap into the future, becoming something that we may not have imagined before. Since we're already doing things differently than we have in the past, it's time for us to move beyond how we've always done it and embrace a new way of thinking. We can embrace the fast acceleration of technology that's happened around us and integrate not only technology, but the thought processes into new ways of planning, controlling, operating, and even decision-making. 
can distributed working not only take hold, but affect how we think about the health and safety of the operations staff that run our most critical facilities? I believe we can reimagine the operator experience to not only protect the individuals, but build in a different level of resilience and sustainability. Are there efficiencies of scale here that we've never considered before? Can we better use data to imagine what could happen in the future, to be ahead of the curve, or even shape the curve rather than ride it? What does network resilience mean in a world where access to a solid connection means the difference between being able to do your job or not? Should we consider a different lens with which to gauge our resiliency plans? Sustainability takes on a whole new meaning with this change and how we live our lives, do our jobs, engage our communities. Have we considered community planning from this angle? Should we? What role can drones, AI, virtual and augmented reality play in the future of how we do our work and run our communities? Have we considered how to administer healthcare to the public using all the tools we have at our disposal? Are we really ready for what could happen next? There are some extraordinary ideas in each of these areas. I think it can take our infrastructure world and leapfrog past this plateau we've been on, building out what could be a stronger, more resilient, and efficient future for our communities. I get pretty excited about this stuff. I'd love to talk to you about it if you're curious, or you just have cool thoughts to share or discuss. While two months ago, we felt safe, secure, and sure that the way things were was adequate to deliver us safely into the future. Quickly, our thinking has been disrupted. Everything has been shaken, and it's time to be creative, open-minded, and excited to take on new approaches to what used to be standard fare. Embrace the change and create a new future. As Winston Churchill once said, those who never change their minds never change anything. I look forward to seeing the impact that you have on our future. This is the view from where I sit. 